got me a double clap. What's up, podcast world? Back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. I'm your host, Chad Belding. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Deemer Box. If you're looking for awesome sound through your Bluetooth system from your iPhone to play that Apple Music, Spotify, whatever form you get your music from, I'm telling you guys, check out Deemerbox, D-E-M-E-R-B-O-X, Deemerbox. It's a case to hold your gear. It lasts 50 hours on one battery charge. You can charge your cell phone within the case. It's waterproof. It floats. You can hold cold beers with some ice in there. Uh, They can customize for you, but look for them right now, guys, Deemerbox.com, and they, they sound so unbelievable so today's episode the audio you're hearing should be almost as good as the stuff that comes out of those two speakers on a deemer box thank you very much for everything you do here at the podcast for us deemer box james deemer the founder and the entire crew down in apple or uh, peachtree city georgia i got the wrong fruit there peachtree city georgia deemer box check them out online at deemerbox.com today's guest i'm very humbled to have him sitting down with me i've shared duck camp with him i've shared campfires with him i've seen him perform several times in the last five or six years i am talking with matt men Gano. I got it wrong and I got my butt ripped today. Matt Mangano, he is the bassist, the bass guitar player for the Zach Brown Band, who are currently on the Al Tour, the 2019 Al Tour, and we're still coming at you straight out of Coors Field in downtown Denver, Colorado, where the Zach Brown Band has sold it out again. I've seen him here twice, I think, already. It's an awesome crowd. You like playing in Denver? I love playing here. This is one of the biggest crowds we play to every year. Yeah, it's awesome. Lots of energy. Oh, man, so much, especially in these baseball stadiums. You, you guys like, do quite a few stadiums as far as MLB goes, huh? We have in the past, yeah. It varies from year to year, but, um, yeah, every time one comes up, it's, we all get super excited. and You know, it's just so much. It's a different kind of energy than a, a, one of our regular concert venues, you know. I mean, because people are kind of. I think people are a little extra excited to be in this cool destination and you're in a spot where, you know, legends do legendary things with, you know, with a bat and a ball and a glove and, um, you know, and we're trying to do something a little bit different than that. But I think there's a lot of similarities too. So, no, I think it's a hundred percent correct. If you had to pick one, Matt, where is your favorite baseball stadium you've played? And I know I've seen you in Wrigley. I've seen you in, in Fenway. City Park in New York City, in Denver. Well, I, I know you've played others, but what's your favorite? Do you, do you have one? I do, and they all. I will say that they all have their own like sort of special charm to them. Like it, every park is very individual, I think. Um, but my hands down favorite is Fenway Park, um, because a because of its history and, and legacy, and but also it's in Boston, which is a place where I lived for a couple of years and I lived right down the street from Fenway Park when I was in college. So it's a little bit extra special for me to go back there and play. Is Are you a Boston Red Sox fan living there for uh, a while? Absolutely, yes. I am. And my seven-year-old son is an even bigger fan. and He watches their games daily. And if he can't watch it, he's begging me to ask Alexa what the score is. Really? Yeah. So when you say went to college in Boston, which college would that have been? Uh, I were went you, to Berkeley College, Berkeley of, Music. College uh-huh. of Music. So this is a place where a few of the bandmates in, in Zach Brown, Clay Cook went there. Clay went there. Were you at the same time? Clay and I met there. Uh huh. When yeah. that was with John Mayer at the same time? I met Clay and John at the right at the same moment in the same room. How'd that happen? You know, it was crazy. There was this girl who we was a mutual friend of ours, and one day she came up to me and said, hey, uh, there's these guys 
who I know, and I think that you should meet them because I think that you guys would really get along. So, okay. So one evening or afternoon or whatever, she said, come up to my room. They're, they're here. So I went up and I walk in her room, her dorm room, lived in the dorms there on Massachusetts Avenue. And uh, John was sitting over on her bed playing a guitar and Clay was standing over by her stereo, like looking through CDs or something like that. And I, I will never forget that moment because they were both like that moment that I met them, the way that they acted and the way they were in that moment t- totally defines them to me who they are as people, like their personalities. Um, you know, John was, uh, well, Clay was being real, like serious and introspective and like uh, sort of talking about the singer, Jeff Buckley, how he had just passed away and how amazing his music was. And John was sitting on the bed playing guitar and he was singing the theme song to different strokes. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum. But then he kept, he would add more verses and each verse uh, was, he was just singing about an episode. So he'd sing, you know, Arnold and Dudley went to the bike shop and he would sing the whole synopsis of that episode. Then he'd go on to another verse and it was another episode. And I was like, these guys, guys, I love these guys. They're crazy. So you're talking in, in, in today's music world, Clay Cook is no, he's a, a, was he a lead guitarist, rhythm guitarist of the Zach Brown band? I mean, I know there's Coy too. So how? What I know he plays the he plays the piano. He sings. He does backup vocals. He does lead vocals on some tracks on some covers. What what would his title be? Is it uh, all around Renaissance man, man? All around Renaissance man is Clay Cook for he's, sure. He's yeah. strong, right? Stro- oh, absolutely. Just, I'm you not know, talking physically. I'm sure he is, but I'm talking musically. He's, he's amazing, amazing, right? And it's just his his presence, his personality is is huge. You know, I mean. When he sings, if you listen to our recordings and you hear like all all their voices end like end a note, you'll hear his just like a split second longer than everyone else's. Like that's you know that's his trademark. That's his signature. Um, and he you know he makes his presence known, uh, and I I love it. You know that that it gives a lot of energy to this band. He's infectious. Yeah, absolutely. And then with and then on the other guy that you met in that dorm room. John Mayer has become a superstar over the last 15 years, big time, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. His talent level on the guitar, like a lot of people hear John Mayer and he's, he, for a long time, he was known for his voice and his songwriting, but he's a, he is a, 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 a legit, I don't know, how do you define it? Legitimate guitar player? Is I mean, as good as they get guitar player? Yeah. I mean, you, you can call it, I don't know. I mean, some people call it guitar God, you know, I mean, that's kind of the, the street term, but um, you know, it's funny about that is that back so, you know, so fast forward from that point, you know, John and Clay wrote a bunch of songs together. Um, they had a falling out, they parted ways, and then John went on to get his record deal with Columbia Records and made Room for Squares. And a lot of those songs that John and Clay wrote together were the, became the songs on Room for Squares. So Clay actually was, had a big part of that first record too. Um, but when John was uh, talking to his record label, you know, when they were signing him and his A&R person said, Hey, you know, so what do you want to do with your career? What do you, you know, what's your dream? And he said, I want to be, you know, basically said, I want to be a guitar God. And this is when he was 21 years old and, you know, in the year 2001 or whatever. And she says, okay, you can do that. But first you have to do this. 
So basically, you have to write these pop songs and sing these pop songs and be a, you know, be a pop guy and build your audience that way. And then once you have that found a huge foundation, you know, solid like a rock, then you can go off and do this and do what you want and be that guitar hero. And he really, I mean, I think he took that to heart and he did that exactly, exactly like she said. You know? And then after the pop thing, he's diversified into country. He's been on some country stuff. He's also the lead singer of the Grateful Dead, uh, you know, the, yeah, Dead, the Company. Dead Company. He, mm-hmm. he heads that up. What what sets him apart? Like you said, what sets Clay apart? What what set in May, what set Mayor apart? Was he God given talent? Was he work ethic? Did he just have it when you from a from an early age that turned him into what he is? All of that. All of that. All of that. I mean, he you know he definitely has an insight into the I think human nature and uh, the and the way people behave socially, and he's you know very in, he's very in his mind a lot, you know. Um, and he has a way to, he has a strange way of being able to relate to people, um, in that way. And so, you know, he, and he also is super charming. He knows how to get people's attention. He just somehow, he grew up in a house with a bunch of brothers and his parents were school teachers and they all just kind of, you know, ragged on each other all the time. And, and so I think in that environment, in that household, he had to learn how to be, you know, get attention and make people laugh. And that was that was his way. And so uh, he kind of translated that into music also. And then he listened, he just studied and studied these guitar greats, you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, B.B. King. And he can, he has this crazy ability to mimic any of their styles. Like he can say, oh, B.B. King, and he'll play a lick and sound exactly like B.B. King. Or, oh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he'll go and do that. Um, or Eric Clapton. And it's, it's like, oh my God, that sounds... That's Eric Clapton right there. How do you do that? Um, but then he has incorporated all of that into his own voice. Um, and he has this crazy ability to write these catchy melodies that stay in your head, that are simple, and the lyric is simple but relatable, and then, um, and then play his guitar in the same way. These hooky little parts that are you know, also virtuosic and... Romantic, uh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy, man. It really does. You just like get into them in a hurry. Yeah. So they they're standing in that room. Clay's looking at some CDs. John's picking the different strokes, talking about Willis and and Gary Coleman. <laughs> he they look at you and say, "Who are you? What are you doing here? How did you get here? Where are you from? What instrument are you studying? And and what's your answer to that? What were you doing at Berkeley? I was. Uh, I had just moved there from my hometown of Visalia, California, and. I graduated high school in 1994 and I decided I was going to stick around for a couple of years. And, um, I was in a band, I was in a couple bands around the area playing like, I was in a country rock band. I was in a jazz band. And so I went to the local community college and I was working for my dad's construction company too. So kind of doing a little bit of all that. And, um, right around when I turned 21, I decided I needed to do something else. And so um, I heard about the school up in Boston that was a music school and a lot of great players had come out of there. So I, I looked into that and I looked into University of Southern California for computer science. So it was going to be this or that, you know, computers or music. And I uh, ultimately chose music, moved to Boston uh, when I was 21 years old and it, the city just 
stole my heart. You know, it blew my mind that all of this stuff was happening. I'd never been to a big city like that before. And that oldest city too. Yeah, it's that historic. Yeah, totally. Historic. Like historic back to the beginnings of the country. And so, um, yeah. So I went there to play bass, you know, to study bass uh, and study music production at the school. And so that was kind of, you know, with those guys. And we ended up starting to play music together. So I played with them. We would, I had, um, I had recording equipment that from my hometown that I shipped out to Boston uh, so that we could record all these demos or record these songs. And so it came time to choose a new dorm room and John and I got together and said, okay, I need a roommate. You need a roommate. Let's figure this out. And there was one room that we were scheming to get because it had a, the, the dorms were an old hotel in Boston that they had converted into a dorm room. So the, the rooms were all different shapes and sizes. And there was this one room on the corner that was this giant like pie-shaped room that had a walk-in closet. And none of the rooms, other rooms had that. But this one room had the walk-in closet. So we schemed to get this room so that we could put all the recording gear in the walk-in closet. And that was our studio. And it was room number 737. So we called it Studio 737. And um, we would, you weren't allowed to play music in your rooms at Berkeley. But um, you you get in trouble if you got caught. But so we would we would have somebody usually when we were recording we'd have somebody posted out by the door on RA watch. They'd watch for the you know, the resident advisor and you know give a little knock when it's time to stop. So we made all these uh, recordings that became demos of some of those songs that were on Room for Squares and on his first record. Um, there's a song called Comfortable that's a huge like romantic oh, hit yeah. for him. That we that recording is that recording from our dorm room. Really? Yeah. Yes. You're John, on that. Record. John and Clay and myself. Yeah. So he kept that for room for squares kept record. It. Mm -hmm. And then body like a wonderland is it on that? Body's album? a wonderland. No. Uh, well, no. Comfortable's not on room for squares. It's on um, inside once out, which was his first EP. Oh, that was his first yeah. EP. Okay. So body. Uh, uh, Body Like a Wonderland, or Body's a Wonderland Body is, a wonderland. is the big hit off of Room for Squares. It's one right? of them, yeah. One of them, yeah. Yeah. So when you say that you guys are in this little makeshift walk-in closet studio, are you guys starting what would be the start of a potential band, or are you guys just some classmates that are laying it down? Yeah, the band that, that John and Clay had founded was called Lo-Fi Masters. And so I became the bass player in Lo-Fi Masters. Um, and then, so they ended up deciding to move to leave school and move to Atlanta because that was where Clay was from and he had some connection down there in the industry. And so they left and they asked me to come with them and I said, no, I have to stay here and, you know, it would be on my conscience forever if I didn't finish school. Um, so they left and then that's when they continued to write some more of those songs. And then um, right after that, Lo-Fi Masters split up and that was that. And so, so John ended up taking those songs and making Room for Squares out of that. So did they ever reconvene down the road at all? Did Clay and John reconvene later on? They did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're reconnected now and, and good friends again. And, you know, John comes out and he'll sit in with us once in a while. And we've sat in with him. And, uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So and you don't, I don't want you to, like, this is just me talking out loud about your instrument. In sports, you have people that are that do their jobs daily, but don't get the notoriety as some other positions, right? Tom Brady's protected by a center, but not many people know the center's name. 
Is that fair to... What is the center's name? I don't know. <laughs> you should, because that's your place. But what I'm saying is that, is that fair to to compare the bass to, is that it's so important to the band, but you almost are like this guy that just is in his element, but nobody really knows about the bass player. I, and all I'm saying is because in rock and roll, you hear about the the Eddie Van Halen and the David Lee Roth, the Axel and the Slash, the Plant and the, and the Page, mm-hmm. but you never really hear of a superstar bassist that is that the band is built on or known about is that fair to say oh yeah absolutely um and you know what i i'm not heard about it either i i kind of like it that way and i think a lot of bass players do why the bass though that's where i'm going with this is it something that you just were drawn to or the uh, being part of the the bass is considered part of the percussion correct well part of the rhythm section so yeah so drums bass and percussion and maybe guitar so a rhythm guitar would be the rhythm section, but essentially drums and bass. Um, and I mean, why bass for me? You know, it's something that I sort of fell into by accident just because I wanted to be in this certain high school jazz band and that was the only instrument available. So I was like, okay, just so I can be in this band, I'll, I'll figure out the bass, I'll play the bass. So I did that when I was in high school, but after that, I kind of was like, oh, figured out I'm kind of good at it, so I'm going to keep doing it, you know, because that was the thing that I was best at. So I just stuck with it. And over the years, I've really started to appreciate it for in different ways, you know, for um, how the simplicity of it really is important and how it is like the, sort of the center of the it's weird because it's the sort of the center between um, the rhythm and the chords and melody. So, so the chords and melody are Clay and Zach and Coy. Yeah, yeah, all like the you know strumming the G chord or whatever it is, and then you know Sweets is playing the beat, right? Um, and so I kind of try to find the the spot where all those things meet. You know, so if I hear a little bit of variation, if somebody's like you know Zach's trying to push it a little bit faster or whatever, but Sweets is not not there i'm going to try to get somewhere in the middle you know timing wise in between them and and then you know with the bass like it's really one of those things where you don't you don't know it's missing until it goes away like you don't know it's there until it goes away really is what i mean um you know it yeah it, it it's uh it's a cool thing i think that you know and the personalities of a lot of bass players too are sort of like that way where, you know, they prefer to stand in the back, um, you know, just kind of stay back there and hold it down. Um, You know, make sure everything's in the right place. And I feel like it's kind of like the catcher. Like if you could compare it to baseball, it's kind of like the catcher of the team. He's in the game the whole time. He's in the game the whole time. And I totally feel that way with, with us on the stage and um, you know, and not all bass players are that way, I guess, but I think, I know I am. Um, it's my personality to kind of be totally in the game the whole time. And I'm, I have a little switch on my microphone that lets me talk to the other guys in the band. And I can talk to the stage crew and, um, you know, let them know if something, something's going to change or something's coming up, you know, something's going to happen with the song. Um, and I've really got to be focused on what Zach's doing because he could change something like that in the middle of a song. And I have to be able to, follow him and know the chords that he's going to play 
because if I don't play the right chord, then everything sounds wrong. So, you know, someone on the guitar or keyboards can hit a wrong note and then just kind of stop playing for a second and it's all right. You don't miss anything. But if the bass stops for a minute, then it's the whole bottom drops out. So you'd be like, what's going on? You know, or when a bass plays a wrong note, it's like the whole, everything starts to do this weird vibration. Everyone looks around like, what the, what's going on? And everyone's like, is it me? No, is it me? Is it, no, it's me. You know, it's bass. You, all, and all you did is dropped out or quit all it is, All it is, yeah, play it a half step off, you know, in one direction or the other. It's really weird. So the the personality of a bassist, I understand what you're saying, and I've been around you, and I know how humble you are. But I've also heard rumors or rumblings that of your talent level as a bass player in the American music scene. Um, am I, I know that you're not going to come out and say how good of a bass player you are, but why the Zach Brown band and tell me the roots of you're at Boston. You made a, you made a dedicated decision that I am not leaving here without my degree from Berkeley school of music and clay's there. He has a falling out with mayor clay goes on to become part of the original Zach Brown lineup. Tell me how all of that transit transitions now in your life and how you end up in with this Georgia band. Right. So yeah, there was a bunch of weird crisscrossing happening in the early two thousands. So after I, after I finished school, I moved to Atlanta, and I ended up becoming roommates with John again in Atlanta. And during that time, I started playing at a bar. In um, John took me to a, a bar in Atlanta. Said, "Hey, you need to meet some guys." And so there's this guy named Francisco Vidal, who played at the Tin Roof in Buckhead, Atlanta. He played covers, still does for like four hours a night. With a, he doesn't even take a pee break or anything like that. And he. He'll sing, he'll sing any song anyone asks him to play, even if he doesn't know it. He'll sing it. He'll figure out a way to sing it. So I go, we go down there to see this guy, and the first person that I meet when we walk in the room is John Driscoll Hopkins in the Zach Brown band. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, at the time, there was no Zach Brown band. But anyhow, I met Hop that night um, and ended up sitting in with Francisco and getting this gig, you know, playing Friday, Saturdays down there for four hours a night, playing covers, playing Brown Eye Girl or whatever it was that people wanted to hear. And one of those nights I was on a break and I walked outside and this dude came up to me and said, Hey man, my name's Zach. Um, play music. I dig what you do. Would you like to come play with me out in Carrollton? I have a, a band. So I started going out to West Georgia with Zach and playing at a couple bars out there. This is before Zach Brown band um, existed, but he was starting to like he was playing covers and starting to like slip in little bits of songs that he was writing. So that's how Zach did it. Like he would kind of sneak them in, and people kept dancing. Then he knew he had something good. Um, so fast forward, he uh, I ended up moving to Nashville, and you know starting to try to work up there as like a session player and. Uh, studio guy and you know uh, did some got some live gigs just sort of a freelance bassist um, and then meanwhile um, Clay had ended up meeting Zach and those guys and they ended up asking Clay to be in the band um, so Clay joins the band years uh, 2008 I reconnect with Zach I fill in for the bass player back then um, you know, substituted for a week, came and played with the band right when Chicken Fried was coming out. And then um, Zach 
decided that he wanted to start a record label. So he asked me, he knew I had a background in production and engineering. So he asked me if I would come help him make these records for Sonia Lee, Levi Lowry and Nick Cowan. Um, so we did that. We made these records that turned into a tour with those guys. And then that turned into um, a full-time production job for the label. Got to work with bands like Blackberry Smoke, the Wood Brothers. Uh, and then that sort of turned into this job where I ended up helping Zach find and open a recording studio in Nashville. Um, so I became a studio manager after that. And I ran the studio for a couple of years. And then um, the band came in to make a record. And they made the record and they left. And while we were working on mixing the record, I got a call from Zach saying, hey man, um, the bass player's not gonna work out. Can you come out and play with us? And I was like, oh, okay, let me uh, ask my wife. <laughs> so you're married already and this is- when, Yeah, I'm married, this is in 2013, yeah. Oh, this is in 2013. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I had gotten, in the meantime, I had gotten married and had a kid and so, and he asked me to come on the road. I was like, oh man, I was, I was really kind of nervous to do it because I had a, you know, I had this good job at the studio. I would, went home to my family every day. I had a kid and it's like, you know, what does this mean? And what, what's going to happen if I leave? And it ended up being the best thing because we come home, our schedule is such that we come home every week. Yeah. So we're home for three days every week get to see everybody. And so that's sort of the, the uh, Reader's Digest version of, what happened so you touched on something there in 08 when chicken fry was coming out what was the origins of that song and how did it become the world i mean it became a smash like that's probably one of the biggest country songs in the last 20 years hands down with and, and it still is like a crowd favorite when oh, yeah. it's it's the song that you guys bring the troops out to it's it's the song that the zach brown band all, all these i think you guys got i don't know about 15, 16, I don't even know how many number ones and Grammys and all that, but Chicken Fried launched it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was the one. That's the one that started it all. And, you know, I it, I wouldn't say that it, it defines us, uh, but I would say that it's definitely the core of who we are. Um, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's, and it's the core of how the band started and, you know, we've obviously evolved since then. The music has grown and changed, but, you know, it still comes back to, to that one. Um, and that one had a, had a really interesting history because it, you know, Zach and Wyatt wrote it. Um, and another band wanted to record it. And so Zach said, yes, you can record it, but you just can't release it to radio. And so this other band recorded it and then for whatever reason they started releasing it to radio and so then it got it got nasty and they had to get lawyers involved and so zach basically said all right well i'm taking it back then you know this is not part of the deal so he took it back and then released it they released it on his own and um Rest it just history. it just took off from there yeah those early days it was really exciting too because it was like you know, people were coming to the shows. We're just hearing that song for the first time, hearing it live for the first time. So, you know, really the crowds were super excited. So one, when you start talking about the, you being the core or, you know, the catcher in the band, um, 
every year the tour starts off with a three or four or five day period of rehearsals and and you know the, they get the light show down you get the engineering going you get the sound down is it is the band like riding a bike now to where you guys are just so unified together to where it's almost like it's just like zach could call you mid-march when there's no tour for the last 60 days and hey we got a gig tomorrow you guys are right back in it yeah absolutely you know i mean it might feel a little you know when you haven't shot in a while it, those first few shots it feels a little bit different right right you know but then once you kind of once you find it kind of dial it back in then you're like oh yeah it's like i never left um, and it feels that way too. If we haven't, if we've gone like a couple of weeks without a show and we go back to do one, the first few songs are kind of like, Oh, we, okay. A little on edge. Like, are we going to, we going to nail this? Yeah. Yeah. We always do. Um, but it is really, yeah, it's like riding a bike. And sometimes like, I'll be amazed that we're playing a song out there, like homegrown or something like that. And, and we'll be halfway through the song and I'll realize that I wasn't even paying attention to the song. I was thinking about something else. Like, it's just, you know, it's just like muscle memory, um, you know, playing the, the parts and playing those notes. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Is there something that, that, that's different with this band though? That is, I mean, the, a lot of the members have been there since day one. You were around since day one, the, the chemistry and the, the history and the inner twingle or the intermingling that you guys had and all the, all the crisscrossing going on in the past. Is this band different though with how close knit you are, or is do you see that with a lot of bands that that play together for that long, or is is it normal, or is that is that is that safe to say that 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 just comes with being together for so long? I think it. You know, there might be other bands that are similar to the way that we operate, but I think that for the most part, we're we're different. I mean, you know, I mean, we have Zach as our leader, so by that by that fact, we're very different, you know, I mean, cause Zach, there's nobody like him. Why? Um, because he, you know, I would say that because he is so persistent and even if he physically can't do something, he will figure out a way to do it. Like he, he has that kind of persistence. So like, even if there's like a, a song that he can't play or doesn't know, he'll still do it. It's kind of like Francisco in that, in that respect. Like, he's going to do the song. I'm not comparing Zach to Francisco, but uh, I love them both dearly. Um, but they, but he's just going to plow through. And, you know, even if somebody tells him he can't do it, he's going to do it even, even more, you know? Um, and, and I love that. that so I, that leadership kind that, of lets you guys get momentum and, and just come as a conglomerate. Yeah. I mean, that personally, that drives me, you know, that, that gives me, it gets me excited that, you know, that that's, that's setting the precedent that we're going to do it, you know? So, you know, watching him and working with him on all these, you know, in the live band and with, in the studio. And it, it makes me that way too. Like there, there really is no limit. Musically. What makes him great talent wise? Is it his songwriting? Is it, and I'm talking his, to you as a professional so that, I would say that's that, been around musicians in the studio and on stage. What does Zach Brown have? So starting with like, you know, number one, top, skill for Zach is his voice. He has a million dollar voice. I mean that his voice is as good as any of the, the great singers, you know, that you think about, like it's, it's got this really, um, uh, sharp timbre to it that like cuts through 
and it's he's got super strong support and a really you know cool vibrato and it's just so it's so powerful like when you're you know you know you've sat in the room when he's singing it if you're not ready for it it hits you you know like oh, yeah. you feel it right um and so that's his number one strength so he he can sing any song he can sing the phone book and it'll sound awesome um and then his his songwriting um his ability to just sing something really simple and like connect with people kind of like mayor in that way you know sing a really simple hook and connect with people in that way um and then his guitar playing is like so unique his style he plays these things that are like they should be wrong like i see him do something and i'm like that that should be wrong like i i I went to music school that's that's wrong but but it's right and the so the biggest example is the intro to chicken fried we it's a joke uh, with all of us in the band we all try to play it and none of us can play it the way he plays it and then he just sits down and plays it and we're like, wait, how does that go? So count it off. What beat does it start on? Okay, and no, this, that's not right. And, the, and none of us can figure it out. Like there's, you know, we all play guitar in the band and none of us can figure it out. How he does it. Really? So yeah. is, it, it, I've always com- compared like um, other guitarists when they try to do Sweet Child of Mine, the intro to Sweet Child of Mine. I'm like, it's close, but it's not it. It's not like how Slash does. Is that kind of the same? It's like that. Yeah. I don't don't think that anyone in the world could play. I mean, maybe if you got like the most awesome like bluegrass flat picker transcriber teacher guy to like sit down and analyze it and, and then, you know, I don't know. But I still don't think you'd have it, be able to play it with the kind of, you know, sauce that he puts on it too. You know, I don't know. <laughs> what? And then you know, so then, so that's also three. With, within all of that though, I guess there's a separate thing that's not really music, musically related, um, but it's his ability to bring people together and to sort of put faith in other people. Who he who he thinks are great at something um, to help make this whole thing better and bigger. I, than I think that being around how I've been around it and and hearing what you're saying now, it's almost like the name of the band is his name, but the band is like so well versed in in individuality as well, to where he's very. It seems like is generous the right word, or or he's oh, very yeah. fair, like. Clay's out there ripping, and then Coy does his thing with the guitar and the tambourine. You get your, you got your deal going on. Two different percussionists going on. Then Jimmy on the violin, and then John. It's almost like Zach gives credit where credit's due, and he makes sure that you guys are all in the limelight. Or even when you don't want to be, it's the band. It ha- does have his name on it, right? But it's the band, like because in, where I'm going with that, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that and where I was going with my former question about your humility and your and your talent level about being in the Zach Brown band is that I have heard in my roots and or you know my network in Nashville is that you're a very sought after bass player. I'm going to assume that that's the truth because you're very good. Clay is very good. Coy is very good. Jimmy's an amazing fiddle player. John is an, an awesome musician. Something's keeping that band together. It's that nobody's going anywhere. Does that make sense? What I'm saying It's like Zach has this ability to say, "Hey, this is us, and we're gonna we're gonna build this together." And it's almost like there's no turnover, except that bass player that is like that baseball story where the guy was playing. Remember the guy was playing first base. Uh, was it Lou Gehrig? 
Remember, he goes in that substitution. The guy came in. It was the guy that that uh, that Cal Ripken broke his record for the most games played in the in the in, in without being hurt. Well, that guy got that job by a substitution. The first baseman sat out one night, and he went in there and he hit like a bomb and a couple base hits, and the coach never took him out. So anyway, is that you know what I'm going with that? It's like yeah. the band is like it's a band. It's a real band that has all these unbelievably talented people that could probably go and do other things, and something is keeping them with the Zach Brown band. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, look at you know, look at what we're doing tonight. I mean, this you know, you play it you playing a stadium full of people. I mean, how would you leave that? You know, I mean, that's, that's crazy. You know, that's, that's what I think that, you know, when people say that that's, that's the dream, you know, as far as being a performing musician, I mean, that's, that's one of them. Um, you know, and I think that we're, the fact that we all sort of keep each other in, in check is what, what makes it the band, Right. You know, I mean, I mean, the idea, you know, there's, we kind of have a policy that, you know, every idea has to be heard and every idea has to be, has to be explored, you know, and um, when, when, you know, when one of us is out of ideas, someone else has another idea or, you know, when one of us has an idea, someone else chimes in to make that, help make that idea better. Like, okay, that's great. What if we did this on top of that? You know, what if we took this and, did it this way and spun it around or, you know, um, and it's like that in the studio. It's like that with our live arrangements, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty diplomatic. It comes down to Zach at the end, you know, of course it's his band. So he's going to have the final say in that, but there's a lot of things that, you know, he just trusts us to, to figure out, you know, um, cause he's, you know, he's in a lot of different places at the same time, you know, he's got a lot going on. So, there's certain things, you know, musically that he just lets us handle, you know, and that was one of the things, one of the amazing things that when I joined this band, he said, Hey man, you know, play what you feel, you know, play, you know, I know that he said, I know that the recordings are this way. Um, but just play what you feel. If you feel like it needs to have something different than one of what, than what's on the recording, go for it. So to me, that was like, you know, that's what you want to hear as yeah. a player. Like you got your creativity there. Yeah, absolutely. That means that like, you know, be creative. But I think that the unspoken thing was like, be reasonable too. like, you know, do the songs justice. That's sort of just, you know, as a, as a professional, you learn that over the years, you know, you learn when to, when to keep it simple and when to step out. So before we, uh, I really want to get into the, why we're here today is, is in what's going on with the new record that's going to be released in September. And some of the songs are able, are ready to be bought, purchased, and downloaded right now, included The Warrior that just came out. The rest of the band and the talent level that these musicians have, is it, is when you're standing on stage, is it almost like surreal to see that, that much talent grouped together in a, in a band that, is you can't classify the Zach Brown band anymore. Chicken fried was a country song. It was on country radio and number one for a long time, but the band is, is the covers the band does are amazing. Like when you guys do Bohemian Rhapsody, it blows my mind every time. I think it's an amazing, you know, it's just an amazing version of that song that queen did and Freddie Mercury, but the Charlie Daniels band, the super hit that they did was the devils went down to Georgia. The way you guys do it, you're just like, man, this is unbelievable. 
is that amount of talent, does it ever get old doing the covers, knowing the talent level in the band and the hits that you have and the songs that are your guys is as the bass player and a guy that's been there for as long as you have now, do you enjoy the covers? Do you only enjoy them if you do because of the crowd participation and getting the crowd fired up? Or is that something that really jives with the band to go out and show the talents and to pay homage to those other musical groups and, and, and songwriters? Well, I think we all, you know, we all came from cover bands. I mean, we all, you know, I think any musician grew up learning other people's songs. I mean, that's how you learn, right? You learn by copying what other people do. So it's just sort of second nature for us to want to play another person's song. And, you know, Zach loves to do it. Like, it's, it's one of his favorite things. Is, you know, he looks at the set list and he says, there aren't enough covers. Let's get some more covers on here. So, um, you know, and I know that the, you know, we sometimes we'll do covers and we'll test them out early on in the year and we'll have a whole list of covers that we do and then we'll try them out and maybe it doesn't, we'll try it for a couple nights and if it doesn't get the reaction like that we're looking for, um, then we'll just, you know, not play it again. But, um, you know, like when we did Bohemian Rhapsody, that's probably, that might be the most popular cover that we've ever done. That one and, and Enter Sandman by Metallica. You know, it's just... Devil Went Down to Georgia is pretty popular. Devil Went Down to Georgia is pretty popular, so I'll, I'll give you that. Um, is, and, is Bohemian Rhapsody, sorry to interrupt, Matt, is it a yeah. difficult song to play? Oh, yeah. All the changes in it? Absolutely. And, you know, more, more and more people are starting to cover that song, but for a long time, no one did. Um, and I, I think we were probably one of the first people to start covering it. Um, it's just so complicated that no one ever wants to spend the, why would you want to spend the time to learn all that song, you know, all those parts for, you know, who's going to sit down and listen to an eight minute song, but somehow it works, you know, we're us being a vocal group, you know, the song's all about the vocal arrangement and um, we're just weird enough to, to pull it off, you know, but I, you know, with the covers, it's like, we get a lot of flack, honestly, on like social media for like, why are you playing all these covers? Let's play your songs, play your songs. And okay, we could do that, but then we'd be just like every other band. We wouldn't be ourselves if we weren't doing these songs that, you know, make us excited and, and kind of highlight where we came from and our abilities. You know, that's, that's one thing you're going to get when you come to our show is like, you're going to get the full spectrum of what we can do. Give me an idea in your head right now of another band currently making money in music. And I'm not talking about the Stones or the legendary stuff that are on their reunion tours or that, but bands that, you know, from, let's say from 95 on, is there anything like it out there? Is there that I, that I don't know about? Like that, us? Yeah. Just like, is there anything that you can go and find 15 to 20 number ones, covers that are as good as the originals, world-class musicianship, songwriting, stage show, unbelievable audio and video and, 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 and really a theatrical show there. I, I can't think like I've seen the top guys in Nashville right now, like Stapleton is, is, is a stud. You go to his show and it's, it's got, it's growing every year. He is a genius. I love him. He's very talented, but I don't stand there and get all, you know, it's just like a somber deal. You're just there. And I love Chris, but it's not, it's not something that I would go to 20 times a year. Like, but when you're at this show, is there anybody that does this kind of thing? Man, I don't know. If there is, I don't know. Uh, you know, and honestly, I'm kind of 
speaking from a place of ignorance too, because I don't get to go see a lot of shows. Um, I mean, I know that like Panic at the Disco is doing a lot of cover. You know, they do cool covers and they're a really cool band. Um, but you know, they don't have the the kind of they're a newer band. You know, so um, you know, I mean, Pearl Jam has been around for a long time. They've had they've had some big hits, but again, you know, that's the unique thing about this band is that um, the radio success that we've had um, that really kind of laid the, the foundation for our, our fan base, I think. And, you know, it's, yeah, the, the music got played on country radio and that's kind of what got the word out. But then those people come to the show and it's not a country show. Like I've been to country shows. This is not a country show. What is it? It's a, it's just a rock show, man. It's like a, it's a music show. I don't know. It's just a, that's what I'm saying is that it's not a rock. It's not like a Megadeth concert. It's not, it's not a George Strait concert. It's like it, you just people are like, well, how is it? A lot of you know, a lot of people come to me for the first time. They're like, well, what can we expect? And I'm like, I don't really want to say anything. And then at the end of the deal, they're just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. They're blown away. Like I brought some new newbies in to Indy this year. Y'all played the Indy 500. And they're just like, you've got to be, and that was, that was not even like your regular show there. That was a smaller stage with none of your theatricals yeah. or anything, no extensions or, or catwalks or is out there called catwalks that go out into the audience. Yeah. They call them a thrust. A yeah. thrust. But anyway, there was none of that. And then everybody's just blown away by the talent of the band. When you guys opened for the Eagles in San Francisco and San Diego last year, I went and uh, this is going to maybe sound a little ignorant, but y'all stole the show and it was daylight. <laughs> Truly you did. I was like, I was, and I love Vince Gill and I love, I love all everything the Eagles ever did. But I was like, man, I would rather watch Zach and the boys do an Eagles cover and then the rest of their <laughs> set. You know what I mean? That's not the first time that I've heard that. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, they're obviously they influenced us greatly. And, um, but yeah, I mean, when you're the opening act, you got to, you got to, and we were, you know, we haven't been the opening act in a long time. And, um, you got to go out there guns blazing, man. God, when you did Bohemian in Frisco and it was just twilight, it was like sun's almost down and, and, and Bohemian came on and you know, the part where the lights come on and the crowd's bouncing and that, and that, they, that's the perfect city to play Bohemian Rhapsody in is San Francisco. Like yeah. that is a theater <laughs> crowd. And, but anyway, that I was just, I'm, I don't know how to define it. I don't know how to classify the band. Well, you know, it's like. I mean, that's, and I think that's great. I do too. Like, I would rather remain genreless like, and just say that we play, we play great music. Um, because, man, I mean, how do you, where do you draw the line? Where, where does country end? And where does rock begin? And where does metal begin? And where does Americana fit in there? And then what's, what do you call what's in between all of those? I mean, you know, I mean, why? Yeah. Why just because somebody doesn't know how to define something? It's an experience. That's what it's about. It's Coming a, to a ZBB show is an experience to where you're like, are they really doing sabotage right now by the Beastie Boys? <laughs> is Jimmy really taking <laughs> putting his fiddle down and putting a flat bill on and doing sabotage right now? That is unbelievable. And the musicianship behind it is awesome. At first, you're like, no, there's no way that these dudes from Georgia and in California are going to pull this off. It's and then, kind of that's kind of it, right? I mean, that's it's it's almost like that, like. Sitting in suspense the whole time, like they're not going to pull it off. They're not. Gonna, they can't finish it. And then you know we finish it. That's <laughs> why like, I love oh what God, you guys did, did last year with the guitar battle. Yeah, that was killer. I could watch that every night. You guys going back and forth, and you you're on the bass, and Clay and Coy are picking songs. And it's I don't know like 
we can get off of how to classify the man. I think you said it perfect with, and, and, and I agree with, with, it doesn't matter. It's an experience of going there. Well, and the reason that it works for us, I think, is because of our back, our different backgrounds. You know, I mean, Zach's background is in singer-songwriter, you know, James Taylor, Jim Croce, Eagles, um, you know, M- Clay's background is in Southern rock, Coy's uh, background's in blues, my background's in soul R&B, Chris Fryer's background's in jazz drumming, and Danny's background's in Latin percussion. Hop's background is in uh, theater and, you know, hard rock music and vocal bands. And, you know, so it's like you take all that, it's just like one big giant stew, you know, and and at the end you have something completely different. It's kind of like, or, you know, that was a food metaphor, but it's more like musical Voltron really, is, yeah. you know. Just- is is how it works. You don't want it to end. Last week or two weeks ago, I saw you guys in LA and you did pour some sugar on me. I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen the Def Leppard cover. I, I think that that getting to know you guys, like I've been, been humbled enough to do and lucky enough to do over the years, I just think it's so cool that you guys get the ability, they have the chance to go up and showcase that. Like it's one thing to go up and be a cover band. Like you say, y'all came from a cover band. Well, I've seen lots of cover bands. There's a there's a girl in my hometown right now doing Simply Shania. I saw one in New Orleans about Guns N' Roses. And you guys aren't a cover band. You guys are world-class music, musicians that have everything mixed into this. I just don't know. I just never have seen it. And I've been to a lot of concerts. I've been to a lot of them. I've been to a lot of them this year. It's what I do. It's where I go. It's where I go. When, when I'm not hunting, I like music. I like live music. And I just And I have no reason to kiss your butt or Zach's or anybody. It's just it's a hard... It's a hard definition to give for Zach Brown band and then, and then fill in the blank after it's really hard for me to do because I really don't know how to classify the band except for just go see them live. One, one, like if I listen to highway 20 ride or colder weather or sweet Annie or something on the radio, it gives me goosebumps. When I, when the, when the moon's out and the stars are out and I hear those songs, I'm on a different level of passion and love and, and tenderness and it's like the emotions that go through yeah. your body live. That's what music's supposed to do to you. And you guys hit on all those chords all the time. And I think it's so special that you guys get to do that with a group of friends that's like unbreakable. You can never really say that for sure, but you guys have proven that. So I don't know. I, I just, I think that most, most bands out there when going back to the question before this is, I don't know if most bands are that, that tight fit. I know that Keith Richards and Mick Jagger hate each other, but they do it because it works. I know that Guns N' Roses is one of the most talented bands, in my opinion, of all time. They did four albums and broke up for 20 years, and now they just come back for their reunion tour the last three years. But bands don't last very long. Van Halen broke up. Van Hagar broke up. Michael Anthony doesn't talk to Eddie anymore. You guys are doing it, and you're going on. You guys are going on 12 years now, right? Does that sound right? Is it 2008 was the origin? Well, 2008 was when Chicken Fried came out, but I think that they— you know, the guy, Zach and Hop and Jimmy got together well before that. Like maybe, I want to say 2005, maybe. 2005. 2004, 2005. What is his, what, before we go into the album, I have two more questions. Hop's talents. What is, what are people, how would you define him and what are his musical talents? Oh man, Hop is just a commanding presence on stage. You know, his, his voice is integral to the, the vocal blend of the band. So you have Zach, who's singing the melody. And Jimmy is one part above Zach. So if Zach is uh, 
tenor, Jimmy's going to sing alto above Zach, and then Hop is baritone below Zach. And and Hop, his ability to sing on pitch is so insanely, like, just, he's like a laser beam. Like, he'll always sing the note right on pitch, never be out of tune. Um, and so he's, his voice is the one that everyone else sort of refers to to get their pitch. So, you know, without Hop, it's like, you know, it's very different without Hop. And I know this because I've had to substitute for Hop, and I've had to sing his parts. And it's, you know, it ain't easy. Did you do Metallica? No, 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 no. I'm not a lead <laughs> he singer. He does Inner Sandman, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. And then he's, you know, and then uh, and then he's got, you know, he Hop's, you know, he, he like I told you earlier, he's a musical theater uh, major. So he has a degree in musical theater performance. Um, so when he goes out there to do Inner Sandman, like I think he's that's kicking in, you know, and he becomes this, you know, this sort of James Hetfield like character or, you know, whatever, you know, it's beyond James Hetfield, you know, when he sings Sandman. Um but yeah, and you know, Hop is just and he's like as a person, he's just so rock solid, you know, he's an Eagle Scout, he's the most chivalrous person that I know and you know, he will always fight for what's right. Um, I saw him you know. do something in Irvine where he waited for like three or four fans to get done getting pictures with Jesse James Decker that opened for you guys on night two. And he went up and shook her hand. He waited and then went up real polite and shook her hand and said, I watched it and that, um, kudos to you. Very good job. Very impressed. I was just like, yeah, that's so cool. So cool that you would see him, you know, he was like pretty much standing in line, just waiting his turn, <laughs> very polite. And so I know what you mean by chivalrous. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. So in my world, I've, besides being, you know, standing on stage and watching you do your thing, I've also been in duck camp with you. Do you, you, I know you're, you don't get to hunt very often, but is it something that you look forward to is, do you like that? Do you like the duck camp, the hunting camp aura, the, the, the culture of it? Do you like that campfire and that, and that, you know, just sitting around with your buddies. And I mean, I can't even tell you what that meant to us to see that those few years, but is it, is it something that you, is it a characteristic of you? Are you a hunter by heart or did you get introduced to it by Zach? And do you look forward to going again? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I had never, before I went out, I think it was um, probably 2016 uh, was the first time I went. And so before that, December 2016, I had never hunted. Um, and so Zach and Chad, you know, in, invited me and, you know, like, yeah, you got to come. And because um, earlier that year, Zach had given me a shotgun. He gave me a, a Benelli and, uh, Super Black Eagle. And one, Super Black Eagle one. Probably a two. Did he give you a oh, one? Oh, it was a two. No, it was, it was a two. two. You're right. Yeah. And, um, and so, I, but I just sat in my closet for like a year. You know, I never, never did anything with it because I didn't really have a purpose or a reason to. And then, so he invited me to go to this duck, you know, on this duck camp. And I was like, oh man, I got real nervous because I'm like, I've never shot a shotgun. So I went to uh, the local, like, you know, sporting clay. sporting clay range. And I took lessons. I hired the guy there and he gave me uh, a handful of lessons and Terry Hetrick out of Nashville, Tennessee. And he got me shooting. So why well, then I drove out there, you know, to meet you guys. And, and I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm ready. And so, 
you know, we went out, I guess, on the first one, and um, I think I actually hit something. So, okay, I'm glad I did that, because otherwise I probably just would look like an idiot out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I had no idea what to expect. And I tell you what, man, I mean, every time I talk about going to camp out there, uh, it's just when I, as soon as I talk about it, I'm there. You know, I'm like, yeah, man, you, you go and, you know, you get up really early and we get in these awesome little flat bottom, you know, boats and go through these canals and like it's 30 degrees outside and the sky is crystal clear and you can still see the moon. It's still dark. You see stars. And then like all of a sudden you start to see this faint blue glow in the sky and like, you know, and it's so crazy how the morning just like changes before your eyes and you don't even notice it. Like, like aside from even like, you know, getting a bird, like it's just that whole, the whole scene. Like, and I, when I say scene, I'm talking about like, a, like you can picture a painting. Uh, that's, that's how I imagine that I have a, a painting in my mind of, of being in the woods at, you know, prairie, the wings. prairie wings. And so, um, you know, yeah, just the way the light changes and how you have to see things differently through the shadows. Um, and even like, even the, even the birds, it's like, they're different because they're just shadows and you're, you're just looking at, you know, shadows Until and like, the sun comes like there's a, a point where the light changes and you can start to see their colors. Um, yeah. and that's right around the time when, when you tell us to take it. Yeah. And, um, but then, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a super magical, um, experience for me and I will absolutely go again. That's awesome. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the, the years just get so busy for us that like, that's the only time, um, I end up going. Yeah. We just got, I told Zach last week, we got to make an effort and get one plan and on the books and just do it because you just can't replace that. Like you said, it's magical. And like Mr. Yeah. Billy. Oh yeah, man. I mean, the, the sweetness of that man and Brandon and everybody that's at that camp, Rossi and Joel. Yeah, man, it, all those guys like just kind of made the whole experience and then sitting around the fire and, and, and singing songs and, um, and you know, and I, and, um, one of my other favorite memories is, is Mr. Billy showing me how to, how to clean a duck. Clean a duck. Uh, and I was so amazed at how easy you can just pull the skin, like just, just pull it apart. Yeah. And that's, it's that simple. Um, so that's a great memory for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to do it again. Isn't it just, I can see it in your face. You're just yeah. like, it's. I miss it too, man. I think about it and I'll call Mr. Billy or he'll send me a case of his hot sauce. You know, the hot sauce bottles that were on the table. And he made, we're getting ready to do a cookbook and he gave me his recipe for that smothered deer steak. No Remember that recipe is called smothered deer steak. Oh, yeah. And I mean, everybody just goes, Zach loved it. Zach's like, you gotta be kidding me with how good that is. But yeah, yeah but that it, place just it doesn't magical. quite compare to your, uh, your uh, bacon wrapped duck, the duck, the duck nerf footballs. <laughs> yeah, I love those things. So another another common thread that you and I have is through duck hunting. I met Tom Cox, who is the owner of Pontoon. His dad started Pontoon um, Aloha Pontoon Boats, and then off of that came Edge Duck Boats, and they become a really uh, just an unbelievable partner and friend of ours. And they're out of Little Rock, but through that association, I went to you and Zach and said, Hey, his daughter, Charlotte, this and that she's trained in classical for 11 years. And she moved from little rock and went and got a place in Nashville. And you kind of took her under your wing in a way to where you, um, you, you have, 
You've been in the recording studio at Southern Ground with her. You and Brandon have laid down several tracks, an EP, and a bunch of singles with her. Talk to me a little bit about Tom and Charlotte and Eliz and, and everybody as far as that experience has been over the last 36 months. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the first time I met Charlotte, I think, was in the studio. They had set it up, you know, and I really have to give a lot of, you know, Brandon Bell really has done a lot for Charlotte, you know, even more than myself, you know, I um, just because he's there at the studio and he, you know, that's his ship and he, um, he really has done a lot of help for her. Um, so yeah, we all got together in the studio, you know, he, Brandon put together a band, um, of some great players. And, and so, um, she brought in these songs and, you know, we didn't, we didn't know her, we didn't know anything about her. And, um, so we go out there and start recording these songs, a couple of them that she had written, and then she covered a, a Coldplay song, Fix You. And, man, she started singing, and we were all kind of looking at each other like, whoa, where did this girl come from? You know, like, you're, when you're in Nashville, you kind of know everyone. You know who all the singers are. You know who all the, you know, who's doing what. And so we were all kind of real surprised that, like, you know, she was singing, and she was hanging with all these, you know, I guess she was probably, like, 19 years old at the time, maybe. And she was hanging when I say hanging like just you know right along there with us with all these like seasoned players you know singing great takes um and so it was really exciting uh and at that at those sessions so uh, Tom and Liz were there and we got to meet her her parents and they're just such a sweet family you know um they're real close with their kids which I think is cool you know I mean that's some kids aren't very close with their parents when they get older and I'm close with my parents and so it's nice to meet see that, you know, not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Tom, I can tell he really supports Charlotte and, you know, uh, helps her out however he can. Um, but yeah, so after that, you know, she came back in and did some more songs at the studio. And then since then we've gotten together and, and written some songs together, uh, her and I, and, um, just really cool, man. She's so ambitious and she's determined and I, I know she's going to do well just because she will she will will it to be, you know. As far uh, as a voice, though, you still think like, man, she's, you can tell she's trained and knows her way around a microphone. You know, I, I would say that I think the great thing is if somebody's trained, what's really great is when you can't tell that they're trained. Like, I know that she has a great voice and I wouldn't have known that she was trained. I would just. I just know that she's somebody who has a, a great voice. So knowing that she's trained makes sense now in hindsight. Um, but um, because some people like Zach's not trained, he's got a, a great voice, you know, uh, some people just figure it out. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, and the training, like that, that can help set you apart too. I mean, just have, she has so much control um, over all different parts of her voice. So, yeah, and so she's got a unique timbre, too. You know, she reminds me of, you know, some ways of Adele, but a little bit more, like, her voice is a little bit more, even more clear, I think. Really? Yeah. Adele. Mm-hmm. Which is arguably one of the biggest female singers in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, she Worldwide. has a similar kind of timbre in her voice. Um, yeah. So if you're a betting man, which I don't know if you are, living kind of close to Vegas, growing up in that part of California, <laughs> do you think that we hear... Charlotte Lee on the radio one day. Oh, on the radio? I don't know. Does 
Are, do people still get played on the radio? <laughs> is that still a thing? <laughs> where where do you, where does it go? Well, I think that you know what's great is that like with uh, where streaming has taken music, um, it's really easy for people to have access to your music. So I think that with Charlotte, you know, it's going to be about just winning over winning over an audience. You know, oh that's the key God. right there. I mean. Do what uh, John Mayer did. Do what John did. Do his act did. You know, just build an audience. Um, and that's, you know, I will say this um, about John. So in his early days, he was playing, he would play a place in Atlanta called Eddie's Attic. It's a small club. And he'd play there once a month. And every time he played, he would do, he would add a new song or he'd do something new and clever. And so people kind of got to, his audience started to kind of notice this and they would spread the word like, oh, what's he going to do next time? He's going to do something new. And sure enough, he'd have a new song the next, the next month. And um, that kind of little, like kind of just throwing out breadcrumbs to people, it really works. Um, you know, in, in building an audience, you know, people, people trust that you're going to do something new and exciting and they'll tell other people about it. And next thing you know, you've got a room full of 200 people. And next thing you know, you've got 400 people. And then, you know, that was kind of how John's early part of his career kind of snowballed uh, because of that. And there was a few other factors, of course, but, um, but yeah, so I think any young artist, I would tell them if you can play, consistently uh, pick a spot that make it your home uh, make it known that you're going to play there and every time you play do something new do something interesting or you know unexpected that your audience is going to talk about and tell their friends and maybe next time they'll bring in a, th th those friends will bring a friend and those friends will bring two friends and is Char doing that yet is that kind of what she's doing at the wild the crazy horse and, and some of that stuff I don't know I've never been to one of her shows yeah, I guess I need to get my butt down there don't I yeah she played our party last year. She's phenomenal. Actually, the episode that's getting ready to air on The Foul Life, she's on stage and around a campfire doing a couple of her hits. I saw some pictures of that, yeah. Did you? Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. she. I love her music. So, The Owl. It's the new tour. Tonight, you're playing Rocky Stadium, Coors Field, Denver, Colorado. Sold out crowd of, what is it? Is it 40,000 here, somewhere in there? Yeah, somewhere around that number. Can you imagine that you're going to play the bass guitar tonight in front of 40,000 people? I just wish I could hear what it sounded like out there. I'll tell you. I'll text you and <laughs> let you know what it sounds like. All those, like, you know, speakers that we've got, um, all these subwoofers, and I, would, I wish I could feel it. Yeah, because I've been lucky enough to be able to come up and stand kind of close to you and, and on the stage and watch it from side stage, and it's nowhere near the same as being out, on, no. out in the audience. It's no. just not. You're supposed to be out there because the audio is – direct is pointed out there you know on purpose yeah. <laughs> for the audience to hear it you can't really hear where you're at i always tell my friends who want to stand on the stage i'm like you can stand there but if you want to enjoy the show go out there you go know, out there go stand yes. by the front of house mixing console because that's where it's going to sound the best you know you feel the like that's where you feel the bass and the bass drum and yeah at front of house or anywhere out there at front of house and forward yeah, from there, but yeah, that's when the sub the subwoofers are all lining down the front of the stage, you know, firing forward. So just hit people right in the gut. Yeah, got it. A lot of songs do too. <laughs> so where what are you most excited about right now, Matt, for this new album? What's got you? Is it different? Is it um, you you your your last album is what? Is it three years now? 
Welcome Home came out in uh, 2017, I think. So two years, a little yeah, over two, two years. years. So you had Jekyll and Hyde, you had Welcome Home, and now you're coming out with the the Al. A couple songs have been released. The Man I Used to Know, Leaving Love Behind, and now you just released The Warrior. Yeah, someone I used to know, Leaving Love Behind. The Warrior came out today. Today. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm excited about all of it, Chad. It's, it's um, you know, every song is really special in a different way and every song kind of has a unique story behind it um you know i think all the songs are really well written and you know we used a lot of different um producers on this record which kind of gives it all you know there's a big variety um i would say it's not quite as uh diverse as jekyll and hyde um but there's a variety of you know, all, all kinds of different styles on there. And that's just, that's who we are, you know. There's a straight-up country song on there. Um, there is, you know, there's some more rocking songs. There's some more uh, progressive-sounding poppy songs. You know, there's some really, Leaving Love Behind is a super tender, sentimental, you know, one awesome of the most song. beautiful songs that we've ever done, I think. What, what, which, what is the country one you're referring to? Is that the one about the uh, band? Yeah, me and the boys in the band. Yeah, we've been playing that good. one live. That's good, dude. Yeah, I like that's it. a great one. Uh, we cover a, a song by the Wood Brothers called Shoe Fly Pie, uh, which is a really fun, I funky think you, did jam. Did you do that song. live? Yeah, we I think you did that live. We've been playing that one. Uh, we've got a song called The Woods, um, which we've been playing live. Ooh, that's a Prairie Wing song. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, the whole the whole song is a great, you know, it's. It's the chorus says, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh, one man's gone, another's trying to stay home. One man's walls might feel like a prison. Uh, some folks are dying, um, and I'm dying for living. Some folks are staying out of the woods, but I'm getting in them. It's and strong. It's super strong. And it's, you know, it's kind of the, yeah, it says a lot, I think. And it says a lot of, you know, it's not for everybody, you know. Not everyone is made to go sit in the woods and you know sit in a swamp and wait for a duck. Wait for a duck. A duck. <laughs> um, several. Um, but you know that's cool. Some people like to sit inside and watch Netflix all day, and that's cool too. Uh, you know what floats your boat might sink mine. That's another lyric in the song. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I love the message of that song. What. Leaving Love Behind, you guys come out to the front of the stage and you sit down and you do it kind of in an acoustical format and it hits hard. Is this a song that Zach, who wrote, who wrote Leaving Love Behind? So Zach wrote that song with uh, Tim and Phil Hanseroth, who um, they are sort of the right and left hand man to Brandy Carlisle. So they, they write and perform uh, with Brandy Carlisle and her band. She's awesome. Yeah. And so these guys... I love them because they're they're twins, they're identical twins. They're both clean shaven, bald heads, just like me and uh, me and you. And uh, yeah, so I d- identify with them on a on a follicular level. <laughs> <laughs> Good work. And um, so, but they are super talented, um, you know. And they just everything they all the songs that they write are super meaningful. I think. Um, so they they got together with Zach and and they wrote this one and, you know. In this song, you know, it can be about a lot of things, but, you know, the essence of it is, you know, um, 
the hardest part is leaving love behind is, is what that song says. Even though it could be the right decision, it's, it's right. still hard. Everything we lose will be a gift in time. Is this a Coach Scott Frost hat? This is a, no, this is a... Uh, it's not Nebraska. Nashville right? Sounds. This that's is Nashville you the second person that's asked me about Nebraska. Well, I mean, I, well, last year you guys did the rehearsals in Lincoln and Coach was there. Oh, really? Yeah, he stood, he, I stood with him the whole show. Yeah. On the, when you guys opened up the tour last year, the rabbit hole. So the album is coming out September. The tour's going through... September 20th. 20th, and the tour's going through about that same time? Through October. Through October. And are you are you getting are you getting jazzed up to where you you made a comment about well is anybody on the radio anymore and I've heard I've heard man I used to know on the highway lately yeah, yeah we, we we'll get played on the radio I was well, sort of joking about do. that I know but it is it's true though it's weird like what's what's hot on the radio or like what's considered right. country gold on the radio like Waylon Jennings would be like excuse me you know stuff like that even though you're not a traditional country right. band you still have a lot of the roots of the southern rock the leonards the almonds the waylands the merles you guys have a lot of that in your sound um some of the memories that i have fenway 3 years ago walked this way and a couple oh, songs was were Steven. you there for that one yeah. oh my god i goodness. stood in front of house with him the whole night until he went up man that was that's oh, one for the books he's from boston isn't he yeah, is he not? yeah, Aerosmith, their Boston band, and man, when he came out, you know, I had, you know, it was it was nerve wracking for me. I've got to play the bass line to Sweet Emotion, which is like a legendary, yeah, sweet. you know, Tom Hamilton bass line. So, you know, tried not to mess that one up. Um, but then when Steven Tyler came out, I've never seen anything like it. Like he, it was like. It was like he picked up that stadium full of people and just spun it on his finger. <laughs> just had and picture. like he had them doing, every, you know, wave your arm this way. You ever seen 30,000 people <laughs> wave their arms back and forth like Steven Tyler? It, and then, yeah, I mean, for a couple songs, he did that. And it was like, you know, I mean, he Amazing. was showing us how it was done. And, you know, that's we, why I was just we like, took notes. <laughs> I was but, just like, I'm going up close And at the end, this. he just throws his mic stand. Yeah. <laughs> and our guy caught it, of course. but. Uh, came and tore it up and just walked yeah. away. And I was, and I, and when he left front of house and I'm like, he's going to go out, he's going on. So I freaking got, <laughs> and I went straight to the pit and I was like right there going, cause I've seen him several times in, in LA and other places, but man, that was one of my favorite memories. Another one was, um, the forum in LA, probably the same year, maybe when you guys, when Dave Grohl came out for live and let die, oh. and you guys did the Paul McCartney, live <laughs> and let die. <laughs> And I got to hang with him a little That's bit. I've, awesome. I've hung with him a few times since, but that was an awesome. That, he survived. Being in the four. Now, it, do you have a relationship with Dave Grohl? Uh, yeah. So I, I was I was there um, when they made the Grohl sessions. Um, so I, I knew him then and met him then. And then the Foo Fighters came back to Southern Ground Nashville to our studio. And, for that. For Sonic Highway. So yeah. I got to hang with him that week. and. And then, yeah, whenever we, you know, run into him on the road, you know, he knows me by now. Uh, so it's pretty cool. That is way cool. Yeah. And they're all like super sweet guys to all the, all the Foo Fighters. Good dudes. Yeah. What a music career Dave Grohl has had. I mean, he was in probably, probably the, the number one grunge band in my opinion. I know there's Pearl Jam is from the same era, but the Nirvana he's, was awesome to me. He's the king of rock. If you ask me who the king of rock is, it's Dave Grohl. The drumming, Absolutely. The, the guitaring, the chair that he let Axel Rose borrow, the throne chair that he, did you, you know, you saw that oh, he yeah. let Axel borrow. I was just like, um, 
what was I just going with that? On the, uh, yeah, the, he's Met- a Viking. Oh my God. He's awesome. So did you have a relationship with Cornell when you guys did that, that, and I know that's sad to bring up, but that's, he's one of the best. In my no, opinion. you know, it's interesting when we did heavy as the head, um, Zach and, and, uh, the head of the label kind of were talking and they both kind of agreed that, yeah, Cornell would be a perfect fit for that song. And so we weren't able to be in the same place as him when he recorded it. So we sent him the, the files and he recorded it at his studio and then sent them back. Um, but it was crazy to like, listen, you know, I'm an audio engineer, so I can pull up the, the sessions for the song and, and isolate the individual tracks. So I was soloed his vocal and just listened to him singing in, in the room. Oh. Insane. Oh my gosh. Um, and then later that year we did, uh, we performed Saturday on Saturday Night, Night Live. And so we had the idea to, to get him to come sit in and sing that song, Heavy as the Head, with us on Saturday Night Live, um, which was night. so cool, man. What a I mean, career just, accomplishment. Yeah, and, and it's funny because that song, I mean, that song went number one at, at like hard at rock radio or something yeah. like that, which is crazy. Um, you I, know, remember, and, I remember when Howard Stern was doing his countdown and Fred Norris goes, number one, Heavy as the Head by Zach Brown and Chris Cornell, and, and Howard goes, by who? <laughs> Like that, and I'm like, he's like, and Fred's like, and he's like, I know who Chris Cornell is, and it was something like he, Fred Norris had to explain to him how badass Zach Brown fan was. <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, who would have thought that we would have had a rock hit? But, you know, that just goes to show you that, like, wh- are we a country band? Yes. Are we a rock band? Yes. yes. Are we a pop band? Yes. We're all of that. Yeah. Um, we got to play with Chris Cornell. I mean, that's oh, like, oh, dang it, what uh, are they calling me? You know. Yeah, that's such. Were you, you surprised know. when that news came out? Yeah, man, I, I was. I oh, was. Dang it. I, I was. hate that. I hate that. Well, man, I appreciate your time, and and I, I'm I'm serious. Like it's so humbling to be able to be part of this and just be, you know, I'm not part of the band. I'm not saying that, but to be able to be invited in and have you do the podcast and be able to share hunting camp and oh man, I'm, it's just it's the whole family structure y'all have going on is so cool. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm so I've, I'm very honored to do this. I. This is the second podcast I've done uh, in less than a month. And yeah, you did one in L.A., didn't I you? I did one in California, and and this is awesome. Man. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and um, yeah, you're a smart dude. <laughs> uh, when I wear camo and blow a duck call. Well, I think that I think that that's, that's where I was going with my questions with you, Matt, was that I've heard you play the regular guitar around a campfire. Can you do it? Could you pick it up and jam like like John Mayer does or like Clay does? Are you on that level of of a regular guitar, a six string guitar? Um, you know, I mean, I can hang with those guys. Yeah, I, I can hang. You know, I I might not play as cool of a solo as them, but I can I can play rhythm behind behind anybody. Um, you know, I'm I'm playing on on this album. I'm I'm playing some guitar, and you know, when we do Leaving Love Behind, I go out there and I'm I'm the only guitar player playing. Uh, during that song, um, you know, I love playing the guitar. I play the guitar almost every day, at home or on the bus. You know, I just—I mean, I can sit there for hours and do it. I can talk to you, and or you can talk to me, and, and I'm can be playing the guitar, and I'm listening to every word you're saying. I love that. Um, and, but you know, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't. If I ever have to play like electric guitar on the stage, I get a little nervous because it's not like it's not home base for me. But um, but yeah, I do. I'm pretty comfortable on an acoustic guitar, and I love doing it. So 
And I like, you know, I like non-traditional ways of playing. Like I listened to a lot of and got to play with Daryl Scott a whole lot. And he's got such a unique style and way of playing that's, you know, where he's not just strumming chords. He's playing little parts and little riffs within the, you know, structure of his song. Daryl so, was out with you guys a lot last yeah, year. Yeah, he was, yeah. He's written some hits for the Dixie Chicks. He's written a big hit for oh, Travis yeah. Tritt. What's the song I'm thinking great of? Day, great day. It's a great day to be alive. Mm-hmm. God, he's awesome. Yeah. When I met him in St. Louis, I was like, man, you talk about soft-spoken. He was so soft-spoken. And Super, then on stage, yeah. he's a monster. Just He can jam. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's been doing it since he was a kid. He was, came from a family band. And, yeah, all of his brothers and dad played. But, yeah. If you're sitting on one side of a wall, but you can hear what I'm saying on the other side of the wall. And on that side of the wall, I'm sitting down with John Mayer. And I say, John, what do you think of the Zach Brown band as a music, musical talent and as a band? What does John Mayer say to me when and he does not know you're there? Oh, you know, I think John's going to say, I think John's going to say, I love those guys. Um, you know, they're putting out some really great music. Um, does he hit on the live show? And then I don't know if he's heard our new music. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, has he heard the, uh, he, no, he hasn't heard us live in a while. He hasn't heard you live in a yeah. while. But, you know, maybe we'll send him a YouTube video. So you and I are the exact same age. I might be a year older than you. I'm 44. Are you 43 or I'm 43, yeah. Okay, you graduated high school one year after I did. 94. During that time in music was grunge coming on. GNR was getting ready to break up. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 were out. Appetite had already ran its course and was the best rock album in ages, in my opinion. Um, and then it just kind of went into Hootie and the Blowfish got big in the nineties. You had a lot of grunge going on. Metallica was stabilizing as a, as a, and then you, and, and you had some hair bands that were still hot off of the eighties. Was a lot of what I'm saying right now, influencing you, or are you more of a, oh, or that. more of, or were you more of like a genius musician to where you only listen to people that I haven't heard of? Like no. <laughs> if I said, who's the, the, who, who's the best bass player in your opinion? Have I heard of him? Or is he a session guy in Nashville besides yourself? I mean, oh, but is well, Duff McKagan a good bass player? The Guns N' Roses original? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Is Duff was good. Yeah. Yeah. He had some really, he had a really unique sound too. Yeah. Play with a pick and like, yeah. Um, no, I, I love Duff's playing. Yeah, you know, he had that signature part on Sweet Child of Mine, yeah. right? Um, the opening of uh, yeah. Out to Get Me. Oh, yeah, oh, man. so awesome. So are you but, are you influenced by a bunch of that, what I just said? All of that, man. Like, I listened to everything that you said uh, I listened to. And then, you know, I also was influenced by a lot of, like, my parents listened to oldies, you know, 50s and 60s. And yeah. a neighbor got me into the Beatles. And another buddy got me into, like, U uh, two and uh, you know so I kind of got all of it you know all of the same like right when I was about you know how old how old however old a kid is in seventh or eighth grade yeah is right when yeah, when 13, everything 14. started hitting me all at once all this music and then I got into jazz music and I got into you know uh, James Brown and soul music um, so it was all coming at me really fast so. Um, and it's crazy to to look, you know, if I listen, you know, because we used to have our CD collections, right? And so, but I don't look at them anymore and everything's on Spotify, but I forget what I had in my CD collection. So then like recently I was going back through my CD collection. I'm like, oh man, I forgot about this record, this James Brown record, this Bela Fleck and the Flecktones record, oh, this, uh, you know, this Pearl Jam record that I never listened to. Like it's all, I had it all there. So no cassettes. Huh? It was all CDs for you. 
Did you um, already give up the well, cassettes? Well, I had cassettes. By that time? You know, the last cassette I got, I think, was Living Color, Times Up. Oh, nice. Yeah. That might have been the, the last. first one I ever got was at a Kmart, <laughs> and I, I got Metal Health by, by Quiet Riot. That was the first cassette. <laughs> the first concert I ever saw was I was a huge D. Snyder fan, and Twisted Sister opened for Bruce Dickerson and Iron Maiden in 1986 in Lawler Event Center. I was 10. No, I was, I was 11. And my on, on Stay Hungry album, they never cussed. So we get there, every other word out of D. Snyder's mouth is the F word. My dad's looking at me like, excuse me? Well, he knew how much of a fan I was, so he let me stay, and he stomached it because my dad was old school country. You know, He was a hard ass. And then here comes Eddie and walking out with 666 is the number of the beast is the first song that Iron Man does, and my dad goes, we're, we're out, out of here. here. <laughs> It literally drug me up the stairs and, and took me out of the Iron Maiden concert. But I look back on that and just, and I, I'm so glad that I had the musical influence of my dad, who was piano, drums, and guitar. My brother Clay, who you met today, can really pick the guitar. I never got anything except the drums. I took a lot of drum lessons. I love it. I'm terrible at it. My goal in life is when I quit being obsessed with Mallard Ducks, I, were, I was talking to my daughter yesterday. I'm like, I really want to start drumming. So I met, I was talking to a guy at my gym yesterday and he's going to start giving me some more lessons, but I just grew up so infatuated with music to where my type A personality took me past the point of, of just listening. You know, I would open up the sleeve and I'd read the lyrics and I'd yeah. find out who the, who the photographer was, who got to tour around with GNR and, and do what Dale James and Robert John and those guys were doing. And then, <laughs> and then I would get into another band and I would do the same thing, just like my baseball card collection. I would really like get into it to where... I guess that was just that's some people are wired like that, but music was always that driving force in me that that if you came to my house right now, my studio is a table twice as long as this that's all concrete inlaid with three eighths inch glass over the top, and the entire thing is tickets, backstage passes, oh, no old kidding. cassette singles that I found in like Italy of Guns and Roses, or me in a picture of Steven Tyler that night in Boston, you know, with the ticket of of the of the concert that night or the pass that Zach let me have, and I just sit back and go. I'm literally like living out my musical dreams because in, 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 before I wanted to be a rock star. Everybody does. Yeah. Be a pro baller or a rock star. You are one. You guys are doing it in 40, 000, in front of 40,000 people. And I, I get to be a part of it to the point to where I get to be friends with you. I get to text with you. I get to introduce you to people like Charlotte or Tom Cox. I get to hunt ducks with you. I get to watch you live on stage tonight. So in a way, through hunting and through that common denominator of a mallard duck, and all these different walks of life that are brought together because of that mallard duck or a deer or a turkey or whatever, I am able to sit down with Matt Mangano, Mangano right mm -hmm. now and go watch him live on stage tonight. I leave here and I get to go talk about dogs in Minneapolis tomorrow in front of a crowd of a lot of people that I'm doing a live podcast format in front with a panel. I leave there, I go to Kansas City, and I get to sit down with my childhood hero, George Brett of the Kansas City Royals, no who's become kidding. a dear friend of mine because of hunting, and he wears banded. And I get to stay at his house, and we're barbecuing in his backyard with Traeger. And then I get the podcast with him about his baseball career. Man, that's awesome. It's all because of hunting and all of this just humble humility and, and, and not closing doors and trying to be a sponge and learning as much as I can. And I've always been intrigued by talent. And when, like when Zach was on the TV show and we did that episode about Camp Southern Ground and he said, I'm a collector of people. I am too. I think that relationships and sweetness and compassion and love, it, you lead with that. You figure out the rest after you lead with that. And once you figure that out in life, because a lot of times, and, and I'm, I'm, I was the same way, and I'm sure that even like Zach was that way and you were that way. At one time. I don't know. I'm not saying that for sure. But 
when you're starting businesses and growing brands and trying to find your way in life and make a living and raise a family, sometimes you get bullheaded. You have blinders on and you're just like, go, 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 go. And now I'm getting to the point to where I'm like, man, look at this. Look at this conversation we just had. And I'm now, I, I feel like it brings us closer. It brings, a, you see a different side of me. I see a different side of you. And it's just like, bam, that's what life's all about to me. And that's, I know that that's what they write songs about that. There's got to be some kind of influence to where you hear something and you and Zach are going, there's a song in that. And it's so cool to see him start and you pick up or you start and him pick up around the campfire. And boom, the next thing you know, you guys are just going back and forth on harmonies and stuff. And I'm just like, that's what Daryl Hall and John Oates did. That's what Plant and Page did. That's what uh, th- it's just. It's genius, man. It's just awesome to be a part of it. So thank you very much, and thank you. This has been it's been awesome talking to you. And yeah, you know, I can't wait to get back out there and we're going and go take them, guys. That is Matt Mengano. I got it right. You got it. He is the bass player for. I don't even know how to classify them, but in my opinion, my humble opinion, the best band in America right now, their live show will absolutely eat you up and make you want more. I promise you, once you see them once, you're going to go back. The Zach Brown Band playing Coors Field, home of the Colorado Rockies tonight in downtown Denver, Colorado. It's the Al Tour. Look for the Al album that comes out September 20th, 2019, about a month, about five weeks from right now. Pre-order the songs that are available right now, Leaving Love Behind, A Man I Used to Know, and The Warrior. They are awesome songs. It's a great start to the album. I can't wait to hear the rest. I love these guys. Matt, thank you. Do you have any closing words at all? Uh, Put on your banded brands. (laughs) Put on your banded brands. I caught them off guard. Guys, this has been Chad Belding. This episode has been brought to you again by our friends at Deemerbox. Check them out at Deemerbox.com for a Bluetooth audio experience. Listen to your favorite bands on your Deemerbox. Tom, go ahead and hit that button written by Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Thank you. Say life on earth won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone?